Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Start it. Very intro. Yep. Hey, I'm Casey. And I'm Tyler. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What is happening, peoples? Guess what? It's summertime. Can summertime. you believe it? Finally, actually, we're getting some summer weather. It's sweet um, summertime. Sweet summertime. Country artists from uh, right. Michigan. They yeah. love to do collabs. That you, you know, like I was to- looking at this Michigan <laughs> stuff because we've been looking at Map Scout Challenge stuff. Actually, we have wrapped the Map Scout Challenge as far as production goes. That's exciting <laughs> things, right? It's super exciting stuff for us. Um, but on on X, it shows you the temperature and the weather and all that kind of stuff up there and like dude straight up the onyx weather station says it's like 72 in the afternoon in michigan when it's like 95 here i'm mm-hmm. like no wonder y'all sing all these songs about this stuff all you northerners you know <laughs> yeah. yeah be hanging out on lake michigan with a cool breeze i know and man 42 degree waters yeah. and that's exciting stuff though we're doing all the summer stuff the prep and all that stuff we just did a big old trail camera inventory got all our stuff in order um and what also comes with that is kind of like some decisions and mm. We've been talking about some decisions we're going to make when it comes to the broadhead stuff. We kind of have some freedom this year, shoot whatever we want to. You know, we're not really working with anybody to do broadheads, which is kind of what I like. Um, So uh, we're going to shoot a lot of different stuff, I think. And there is actually an authority on this stuff. I will Mm. go ahead and say. Is it the Broadhead Association of Hunters? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So lots of ads with red colors and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff no actually the authority on this stuff is john lusk and we've mm-hmm. had him on the podcast episode 106 mm-hmm. a while while back a while, 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 while west. <laughs> that's right 
Lusk. Quite a while back uh, was John <laughs> Lusk on the podcast. In fact, I believe he has moved since then. Uh, I think the first one he was in Colorado. I know he's in Iowa now. I think he had just got to Iowa when we talked to Did him. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. But last time we talked to him, we talked all about archery stuff because he's a hunter and a shooter and all kinds of stuff, but he really, really likes to have a deep dive into broadheads, and that's exactly what we do in the podcast <clears> today. If you haven't, you need to check out his YouTube channel because it's probably – one of my most frequented YouTube channels, um, at least this time of year, uh, just kind of looking at broadhead stuff. So go check out Lusk Archery Adventures and then listen here in a little bit. But first, mm-hmm. we got some stuff to talk about. Uh, there are quite a few of y'all who have already signed up to come to our scouting event in Northeast Texas, or I guess that's kind of North Central Texas over there, actually, um, at the Hagerman National Wildlife Refuge. National Wildlife Refuge. <laughs> Guys, I talk so fast that sometimes I get in front of myself. Uh, if you're not of... tired, though, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> 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 Sometime around 10 a.m., I can really spit it. Uh, so uh, anyways, uh, thank y'all for signing up for that. I'm excited, super excited about it. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to head over to our website and check out um, that uh, in our store. There's a place where you can sign up for that deal. We're going to do a bunch of scouting out on the <clears throat> Hagerman, uh, not because like we want to just show you how to kill deer there, but it's probably the one place in Texas we can go on public land and still kind of have that public land feel, but also have like good deer, good size animals, good quality age structure, and all that to kind of be able to show for uh, scouting assigned. purposes. And then we're going to head back, probably grab some lunch somewhere, and head back and do a uh, afternoon in the air conditioner. Siesta. Siesta time. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your hammocks. Uh, but well, we're going to do some uh, Q&A stuff and, and all kinds of stuff. Maybe talk about some saddles and stuff like that, too. So I'm super stoked about that. It's going to be fun. I love these t- kind of events where we get to kind of build the community and hang mm-hmm. out and talk. That's what the hog hunt was in February and was going to be even bigger. And then um, God decided that we needed a lot of weather. I thought to, that was Jack Frost. Uh, hmm, interesting about that <laughs> false theology. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, oh, But man. we did have uh, a little inclement weather, but the hog hunt was still a lot of fun. And I kind of expect this to be no different. So that's August 14th. If you haven't signed up for that or you're interested in that, please do. We have people coming from all over, man, like South Way Texas. Far. Yeah. So uh, six hours away, yeah. different states. If you need a place to stay that night, we're all staying in a particular Location, but oh. we won't share that on I the you're gonna air. Offer your house? Nah, okay. well, it's not anywhere near the Hagerman, but <laughs> I would otherwise. Um, so uh, I'm excited about that, man. Uh, this man, where do y'all hunt when y'all do- hunt? When y'all hunt in Texas, I'll have a new answer for that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, we've been talking about this because we did some of this Q&A stuff the the other day. And uh, people say, like, so people know we don't like to answer that, I think, now. So they ask us this. Have you ever been to over there by that service station and uh, on the left, you know, and go right over there, and then you go down to that double two-track road, and there's a big tree right there. You ever been there? And like You probably saw that on our YouTube channel and pretty much already got that figured out. That's right. My answer now has become, man... If you've been there, there's a good chance we've been there. <laughs> That's my answer now. So, uh, not that it's all in good fun, guys. It's a lot of fun. But honestly, you don't really want to hunt the places that we've hunt because uh, our success on Texas public albeit is there is not as good as it is uh, in other places. So that's why um, we like to go out and try to sharpen our skills and do everything we can. And that's kind of what this uh, Hagerman thing is all about. Tyler. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about your gear at the moment, your deer mm. gear? 
Not good. <laughs> Not good. Uh, like I pretty much, <clears throat> I feel like I can go and hang in a tree stand and, you know, be there mm-hmm. pretty easy. That's good. You it's know good what I mean? There. <laughs> I, could, I could be there. But uh, as far as killing a deer, like making it happen uh, from that point forward with a bow and a sight, <laughs> a peep sight, and all the other things that I might need to make a good shot and a broadhead that would kill. I'm not so sure right now because yeah. we are uh, still hoping that we can shoot something different than a 2011 Matthews. <laughs> at least you've got some Victor arrows. <laughs> you can throw them at them <laughs> if true. you want to. It's true. I got arrows. I just am hoping to get a bow. Uh, we just full transparency we've been told that we have a bunch of bows coming in for the element guys to shoot this has been told for about (laughs) three months now probably and so i'm not sure if we're getting them or not but i think they're coming i just don't know you'll probably hear this every week and you're like okay same story (laughs) but i am like we're we're hunting in like a month i Mm -hmm. mean it's scary dude we're shooting a deer september 1st so if i can't get proficient with this new bow um i guess i'm gonna be tuning up the matthews and doing it again but uh, hopefully, I can get proficient very yeah, quickly and get so. some practice in. Yeah, I think th- th- what we're running into now is that we're not really industry guys, mm-hmm. and we're trying to understand what's going on mm-hmm. there. You know, it's not really our favorite realm. It's not our favorite realm to exist in, but it's kind of part of the gig. So, um, anyways, uh, we're gonna have a good fall. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We're gonna um, make something happen. If anything else. Uh, your trad bow broke, so you can borrow my recurve, and you can shoot that if you really need to. So they call me Bolus, <laughs> Bolus man, Tyler Bolus Jones, <laughs> Bolus, my middle name. That's it. Uh, but we got a bunch of trail cameras um, that we're going to be getting out pretty soon. So we don't really put a lot of emphasis on summer trail cameras. We used to. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a good way to really, really sweat. I'm not thinking and it's as much fun as. It- um, now is what I thought it was back then mm-hmm. for sure. Well, I think that's after we learned that you don't really kill a lot of deer from summer trail cameras. That's probably it. Yeah. Maybe if you're from a different state, you do. Yeah, um, I think you definitely we don't. could. That's one of the questions that we've had come in for Q&A stuff. So in case y'all were wondering, uh, we're doing some a Q&A podcast again here pretty soon, kind of like a preseason hype style Q&A podcast. So if you have any questions, head over to one of our social media things or to the website and you can submit a question and we'll answer it on the podcast not mm-hmm. because we're experts but we like to talk so if you can just at least give us some fodder that would be good yeah hop yeah. in them dms y'all that's right man so uh john lusk is going to be on the podcast today mm-hmm. uh like we said we've had him on in the past really really knowledgeable guy does a ton of broadhead testing and uh you know i've kind of fiddled around with that a little bit but nowhere near what he has and quite honestly man like I figured out that everybody has to kind of, they have X amount of time and you can fill that time with whatever you want to. And I'm by no means saying what John does doesn't have value. It has a ton of value, but it's not something that I can uh, do because I don't have enough I can't subtract time from other things I'm doing to do that. So I really appreciate... You're not lusky enough to be able to do that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, lusky lunge. (laughs) You're not lusky enough to have enough time to do that. (laughs) That's right. So uh, he he really goes through a really cool testing process and works really hard at this stuff. So I'm excited to 
dive into this deeper because I'm, I'm honestly an observer of John more than anything. Like I said, mm. I watch his YouTube channel a lot, you know, and I know that you have some broadhead questions and stuff like that too. I mean, I think you're yeah. going to switch around a little bit this year, huh? Yeah, probably. Um, I'm going to talk to John first and then I'll make some decisions. Mm. Maybe I can... Maybe I can that's wrap good. that up at that's the smart, end. smart, dude. Ask yeah. somebody who knows, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a good idea. Yeah. Where you hunt, Tyler? <laughs> well, <laughs> I can assure you, if I've shot a broadhead, then you probably shot a broadhead or whatever the thing is. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, guys, we are on the downhill oh, for hunting season. Yes. So I'm stoked. I'm glad to be doing this stuff, though, because it's the stuff that kind of leads us into the hunting season. I mean, whenever you're talking about tipping your arrow with something, you know you're getting ready to do some shooting mm-hmm. and some killing. Mm-hmm. So let's talk to John about what broadheads we should check out. Real quick, before we get to John's interview, I wanted to make sure and reiterate the fact that we are doing that scouting session. And we didn't talk about this, but actually Chad Rice from Cruiser Saddles is going to be there to show us some of the new saddles, show us um, how to use them. Uh, how to get in a tree with them, how to use them comfortably, and how to use them efficiently and shoot out of them and that kind of thing too. So that'll be part of the thing we do probably on the inside of the hotel that we're going to be at so that we don't sweat the whole time. Uh, Chad has us building a uh, fake tree for him or something. So I'm pretty excited about that. So once again, sign up for that thing so you can be a part of that deal and also go check out cruisersaddles.com. All right, on the phone today, we have got John Lusk with Lusk Archery Adventures. You may have seen him on YouTube. He's got an awesome channel over there. John, what's happening today, man? Hey, it's good to be with you here again. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's been a while, right? I was trying to remember, when was the last time we talked? It was February of 2019, I think is what it was. Yeah, (laughs) Man, that was a minute ago. I know, I know. It's crazy. I felt like it wasn't that long, and then I got to thinking about it. I was like, man, it has been a little while. It's crazy. Because I I honestly watch your channel probably... at least once a week, because you, you know I get your your notifications or whatever on YouTube, and it's it's great. So, um, you know, you have a really cool YouTube channel. You're very scientifically minded, uh, and it just so happens that here while back you moved from Colorado to Iowa. So we want to talk about some broadhead stuff, but first. You moved to the happy hunting ground, man. How is Iowa? <laughs> you know, I moved away from a happy hunting That's ground, true. too, but mm. I came to a different kind of happy hunting ground, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that factored into my decisions. <laughs> <laughs> we've been in Colorado for so long, like a total of 15 years, but but once for five and then once again for nine. So this last time we were there for nine years and we were ready for a change, although I loved all the different species mm-hmm. that I could hunt there in Colorado and, you know, the scenery and everything. But we, when we were looking for a new place, we wanted a smaller city and I really wanted good hunting. And so, you know, we looked in Southern California. I'm like, nope, you're not on the hunting. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then there was Southern Texas and a lot of great hunting down there, but it was really hot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like my wife didn't really like that. Then Iowa, Des Moines, I'm like, okay, whitetail mecca of the world. Here we come. So, yeah, I've been loving it. We're here almost three years now. And at first I didn't have residency for the first season, so I couldn't hunt. But the last two, man, I've been so enjoying it from the whitetail to the turkey. I mean, you know, I get spring and fall both covered like that. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's 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 awesome. Are you uh I know that you kind of are a dedicated bow hunter when it comes to big game, but with turkeys, do you whip out the shotgun or do you go archery oh, no. as well? 
No, no, it's it's bow only for turkeys. I I just love it. I mean, I love the challenge. Sometimes, you know, not being in a blind, I love that challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder harder to film, though. I've done it, you know, at different times, but but then uh, sometimes in the blind, and and I like it both ways. I I really do. But uh, yeah, Iowa has just been good to me, turkey hunting wise. Man, I had man last year. I got two. <laughs> last year I had the best experience. Like a year and a half ago during COVID, I I was sitting in this blind. Okay, I hadn't seen anything for a while, and then and then you know out of the blue, you know you always hear it like I just out of the blue this this nice tom comes in and I drop him just boom. I mean with an arrow, he just drops right at my decoy, and then I'm like getting down on my knees. I'm texting my friends and packing up my stuff, and I look up and here comes this monster. I mean the first one was really good. But this monster is running in. But I'd already turned the camera off and everything. And yeah, I thought I hit the, the, it was a new camera. I thought I hit the record button and I hit like a focus button. And I thought I had great footage. I had no footage. And I had my GoPro, but I, I was on my knees, so I couldn't get high enough to get the camera over the edge of the blind. I'm like, but I want to shoot this thing because he's standing right over the one I shot. So I shot him and, and, but that was like this beautiful triple beard massive turkey it was my first triple beard so i had two boom boom lying there on top of each other that was whoa awesome. man yeah that is cool dude sounds yeah. like a good meal to me <laughs> yeah for real right i mean good meal <laughs> turkey sandwich so i love turkey with a bow and then i loved whitetail and i you know i i got my best buck yet this last fall mm. with with uh with my bow and then i'm also in my neighborhood my little town here township they have an urban hunt Oh, and cool. so, yeah, and, and they have this rule, like whoever, you can only shoot does, but out of eight people, they let eight people hunt. Out of uh, eight people, whoever gets the most does gets a buck tag for the next year. Oh, my. So uh, the first, the top two people. So I got four does last year, and I thought that was going to be way in, but it was the number two guy. And so, but now I get a buck tag. So I get a buck tag here locally, like right around the corner from my house. I mean, like 200 yards from my house. And I get the state buck tag, so I'm fired up about Iowa this fall. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That urban hunting is really intriguing to me because I just can see that it, I don't know, there's just so much of a story that you could develop with that, you know, just uh, having whatever, you know, a dog path, you know, for people who walk mm-hmm. their dogs right there and then you're out there shooting big bucks in Iowa. That's cool, man. It's, it's weird the way it works because when I go on the running trail, there's running trails, cross-country trails that go through this area I hunt. I can get within like at times five yards of a deer. They don't care. Mm-hmm. And you're like sweaty and everything. <laughs> but you go up in a tree, you know, a hundred feet off the trail, and it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. I mean, they're like, that smell should not be coming from there. And <laughs> like, so they they know so clearly what should and shouldn't be there. That's right. And they're as hard to hunt there as they are you know, the other properties I hunt. There's a bunch of people in neon running those trails, but not as many sitting up in trees, are there? That's a little different. (laughs) (laughs) They're not used to that. That's funny. Yeah, that's cool, man. So you shot your biggest buck in Iowa, uh, or your biggest buck ever in Iowa recently. What did you shoot that deer with broadhead-wise? That was a Sever 1.5. Oh, that's Uh, a good choice. You're going to sway my... I've been using that a lot lately. You know... I mean, I know I get better penetration with a good stout fixed blade. They're a little bit more durable, but the Sever 1.5 is the most durable mech that I've ever tested, like by far. Like mm-hmm. it's not even close. And I just love the forgiveness in the shot. And like for this one, 
I mean, this buck came running in chasing a doe and I mean, I had to, you know, bleat, stop it. And it was like, it was like 30, just over 30 yards. I had this tiny little window above a branch, you know, in front of a tree, he's kind of quartering toward me, but you know, and I'm nervous as I'll get out. I'm like, Oh, look at that thing. You know, don't look at it. Don't look at it. And I'm like, and, and so I was really glad to be using the sever because I just know it's going to, it's so forgiving. I mean, I could be a little jittery or something and it's going to fly like a field point. So anyway, it worked out really good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that because Tyler and I was, were talking about that this week. The thing that people, um, you know, there's this push nowadays and, and it's validated because people have been shooting, you know, 6.8 inch cut ridiculous broadheads for a long time and they just don't <laughs> quite do what they need to sometimes. But, um, one of the things that, the I guess the fixed blade professors um, tend to kind of ignore is that exact thing you're talking about is the hunting scenario side of things. You know, like you you get in that situation where you know maybe bow torque is just inevitable, and whenever you've got a decent fixed on the front, that can definitely you know impact your arrow flight. So I think that that's a huge point to make. You know, even a guy like you who is you know, I've, you know, watched your channel. I know how you think like, you know, fixed blades are awesome, but in that scenario, it makes total sense to where if you can find a mechanical that's reliable, you know, that's, that's going to be <laughs> more forgiving, just like you said. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's a small enough cut that it's still going to penetrate well for a mechanical, mm -hmm. but a big enough cut that I get a nice wide cut, you know, like a three blade one and one eighth inch, that actually is going to cut more tissue, like what, like 1.68 inches of cut, whereas the like a, a one and a half inch mechanical, you're getting one and a half. I guess you get like the cross blade too, like the, mm -hmm. the, the feral tip has another five eighths of an inch. But, but anyway, they're similar that way. But that one and a half inch wide cut, I found that the width of a cut is much more important in bloodletting than the total tissue cut. Hmm. Like when you get you get a wide cut, what I found is when the animal moves around, that cut gets bigger. Like the tissue stretches and a wider cut just gets wider. Mm -hmm. But with a with a smaller diameter cut, even with three blades, it's it's a small hole that, and it's circular kind of. It doesn't stretch as much and it gets plugged up with tissue much more readily. And so, you know, I mean, shot placements, everything. And that's, you know, that's 95% of the game at least. And any head's going to kill something if you get the right shot. But I have had a number of smaller fixed blade heads plug up uh, uh, much more than I've had with a wider mechanical. So it's, it, you know, everything's a trade off in broadhead selection. Yeah. So, how, I mean, I know you're up there hunting pretty big body deer in Iowa. How worried are you? Um, with penetration on a mechanical in most situations, it sounds like that it crosses your mind, but at the same time, like, um, I feel like some of these bows these days, you know, you could shoot a three blade and in most situations be okay. But I mean, I, I haven't done the extensive testing that you've done. So like, what have you seen that causes you to think that a, a three blade or some kind of different deploying, um, mechanical might not penetrate what, like what it needs to. Um, well, you know, they are big bodied. And if it's like a quartering shot, I, I get a little bit concerned about the penetration or, you know, a shot if they're you know, directly under my tree stand, you know, I get a little concerned about the penetration. But like a, a one and a half inch mechanical is going to penetrate just a little bit less than a larger 
three blade. So, I mean, it, it depends on the three blade, but, but still what I found is like, my goal is to get first goal is one that's really accurate. Cause again, shot placement's 95% of it. And then the second goal is I want a good chance at a pass through. Like that's imperative. I want mm-hmm. two holes. That's, you know, to stack my odds in that. And then third thing is I want the biggest cut I can get and the widest cut I can get while still accomplishing the first two things, you know, the accuracy yes. and that penetration to get a pass through. So that changes based on the animal that I'm hunting or my arrow weight selection or shot distance and stuff like that. So, but those are the things I really think about it. And then it's the uh, sharpness and the edge retention and then the durability to make sure that it's cutting and holding together all the way through that two hole, you know, plan. So that's what I try to, to find the balance of. And, and I really like the, the Sever 1.5 for that reason, but, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of other heads that I like too. Sure. And, yeah. Why, know, why does, use fixed blade heads too. Why does, uh, why is two holes so important? You know, I like it for bloodletting. And okay. so like, you know, it, some of the places that I hunt and you know how it is. I mean, they can run a long ways really fast. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy how fast they can go and how far they can go. And sometimes it's, if you don't have a good blood trail, man, you're kind of, you know, you're up a creek without a paddle and it can be really difficult. Now, if you see him drop in sight, you know, that's awesome. But if I have to follow a blood trail, I, you know, I find that two holes, I'm going to get a better blood trail. I mean, you can see it on the ground. The mm-hmm. blood's coming out of both sides. And that's why, like, I don't typically for deer like to use an over-the-top deploy mechanical, though, though I have used them and they've worked well in many situations. But with that, if you don't get a pass-through, you're only getting one pretty small hole. Mm-hmm. Now, you get some good internal damage, but you're only getting one pretty small hole. If you use a rear deploy mechan- mechanical, you're going to at least get one big hole. Like you're guaranteed that. Now, if you get a pastor, you get two big holes, but at least you get one big hole. Whereas an over the top, at least you're getting one small hole. And I don't really want that. So I like a rear deploy mechanical and one that's tough enough and, and not too wide where I can still really penetrate well. So, I mean, that's just my thing. Now, if I'm hunting smaller deer, then I can go to a bigger mechanical, you know, Mm -hmm. two inch or, you know, something like that for some of the does that I shoot. Like I tried using this, um, this true blue crossbreed this last year. That was really fun. It's a great guys out of Australia that I've become good friends with, but they created this, this kind of like auxiliary broadhead. Oh yeah. I saw that. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's like a, it's like an over the top deploy mechanical, but you screw another broadhead in on top of it. And so I'm like, I'll try it on a doe. And, uh, and so I put a tooth of the arrow, you know, has two inches of cut on the top. And that was a small one, like the one inch by one inch cut. And then this has two, two inches of cut below it. So you're getting, you know, four inches of cut. And I, I drilled this dough. I mean, it zipped right through, passed right through, but it was like, it was a liver shot. It was a really quick shot. It was staring right at me. I just raised a bow and shot, but on a liver shot, it went about like 20 something yards and died. I mean, wow. I've never seen a liver shot kill. Something. I'm like, man, because <laughs> that's a lot of cutting going yeah. through there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sure. I, I like to experiment with different things. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have that kind of experience for sure. Um, but in, in some of our limited experience here and there, we have seen where like um we like I, I got I've gotten a lot of pass throughs the last few years and have not seen the greatest of blood trails um using like two blade. And I'm just wondering 
why that is. Like, and these are fixed blades. So like, are you, you know, is, is it, is it the instance where like that particular cut is just closing up because it's so, such a sharp broadhead and it's so, such a slim, you know, like why, why is that? I guess that's, what, that's what kind of cutting. Yeah. What's your cutting diameter? I think they were inch and an eighth and three, then, and eighths, then three yeah. quarter bleeders okay. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they had bleeders too. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that's, you know, that's good having the bleeders, but again, it's kind of like I was saying, well, first of all, again, shot placement is huge and that doesn't mean it's all up to us Mm -hmm. like whether a a deer has inhaled or just exhaled Mm -hmm. and you hit the lungs makes a difference in how it's going to bleed and how the blood you know how the blood's going to come out and i mean every anatomy on deer is different you can there's some that you go man i double lung that thing and you see it on video and you go but never recovered it. I mean, what in the world happened? Like sometimes just stuff happens and, mm-hmm. or they move a certain way, you know, and the broadhead veers off course, you know, right as it hits, they jump and you never even know that, but you hit it in the right place. So shot placement isn't only up to us. There are weird things that happen, but when it comes to bloodletting, nothing is as important as shot placement. Mm-hmm. And I've shot, I've shot, deer with a two blade one one eighth inch single bevel that i mean blood was everywhere because it was coming out of its mouth but not much was coming out of the hole itself but that's where i go back to the total the width of the cut i mean that's what i found that if i'm getting like like a one and a half inch you know width cut diameter then and it has a little bit of a cross because of that barrel that thing is going to open up really big and it's not going to close up, but a smaller hole arrow zips right through. There's going to be internal bleeding, but that hole's pretty small and that tissue can move just a little bit and it's plugged, it's covered. And so I've seen that happen a number of times and that's why I prefer, uh, you know, a wider cutting head. Mm-hmm. So I, but I've, I've shot a lot with, I, there's a big single bevel rage right now and, and I get it. I, I like single bevels too, but a lot of people ask me, they're like, Hey, so I'm thinking of using this, you know, single bevel, no bleeders for, and I always ask them, well, what's your setup? What are your bow specs? Your, you know, your arrow weight, shot distance, what animal are you hunting? Things like that. And like for a white tail with a normal setup, I go, what, why are you using that? Mm-hmm. If they think a single bevel is going to be like a roto rooter, you know, get a, like a <laughs> drill and drill through it. And they don't realize, no, that's rotating. Like, you know, maybe 20 degrees like yeah. in that, in that thickness. I mean, that's adding about 10% tissue cut. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a, that's a one and one eighth inch hole and you're adding 10% cut. If you put in a third blade or you put in a fourth blade or you put in a wider blade, that's way more than 10% increase. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing magical about single bevels in terms of lethality. There is in terms of penetration and the way they breach bone. I mean, that's their, you know, their superpower is the way they, you know, they can split a bone because they get that torque and it rotates the the torque from the arrow in flight combined with the torque that's generated by the single bevel, provided it's thick enough Mm -hmm. to generate that torque that, that can, you know, really breach bone while it splits it. And then the arrow shaft can penetrate through it. But I, I find it pretty much any head I use on whitetail, I'm going to get a pastor with most shots. So I want a bigger cut than a smaller cut. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I think that, you know, uh, the concern in the past, you know, when I shot a different setup was that, you know, do you have enough to punch through them? Well, nowadays, you know, we're shooting, you know, 500 plus grain 
total arrow weights, you know, and, and they just have what it takes to get through with most broadheads, right? So it, you, yeah, yeah. you can, as long as you shoot something that's going to have decent penetration, that's just not gaudy, you know, you're going to be able to to get that. I, I think one thing that you you've seen, I, I don't know if you've tested this yet or not. I know you, you will sooner or later, but is that um, the iron wheel single bevel with the, you know, also beveled bleeders, I'm real intrigued by that because you're kind of getting the best of both worlds there. You know, have you messed with that at all? Yeah. So Bill's a good friend of mine mm-hmm. and I, I'd been lobbying since I first met him. Like, why don't you do a single bevel one? Yeah. And we would go back and forth. He's like, and he would ask, he'd call me up. So do you really think a single bevel is going to be better? And I'm like, well, so I, and then finally you're keeping he goes, Bill okay. up at night, man, just because of your comments. <laughs> and, and he, you know, he's such a good thinker, such a great mind and, you know, as a physics professor and everything. But so he goes, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to create one, not necessarily sell it, but for my own testing. Mm-hmm. And then he did, and he was asking me, okay, how, what kind of bevel should I put on it? And I mean, I know that the best rotation is going to come from a 45 degree bevel, but it's hard to get that very sharp. Mm-hmm. And so, but the closer you get to that, the better the rotation. So I said, I don't know, you know, like I, I thought it should be closer to 40 or something, but he did all his research. He goes, okay, I'm going to do 27. So it was the first one was a 27 inch bevel and he, he sent it to me to test and I tested it and it experienced quite a bit of edge chatter it, because 27 is just, even with a two steel, that's pretty thin. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we say quite a bit, I'm talking about through steel plate five times and you know, you're getting a, a little bit of, of edge chatter. So then he boosted it to 32 degrees that made a whopping difference. And so that's what he ended up marketing. And I did the first, you know, video test of it, you know, of that head. And I love that head. And it rotated exactly the same in my testing in gel. It rotated exactly the same with the bleeders and without the bleeders. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. is re- Now, I don't know if – and he didn't know if the, the beveling on the bleeders actually helps or, or not. I found – heads that, that aren't even beveled on the bleeders, but still, you know, they still rotate well. I, you know, I don't mm. know. He's not really sure, but it is awful cool to say, wow, these are, are beveled as well. Like the Cayuga, the Cayuga Generation 2 pilot cut. Man, that was one of my favorite heads I tested last year mm-hmm. because they, they get, they're made out of Australia and they're, uh, you know, a, a two blade single bevel, but they have, you can put all kinds of different um, bleeders in there. You can put in blanks to where there's no bleeder, or you can put in like a half inch bleeder, or you can put in a one inch bleeder that's single bevel. And so, and that one goes up to like 175 grains. I mean, it is a thumper and it's really thick. And so, yeah, like that, I like that modularity of being able to switch out different sizes of bleeders and different bevels of bleeders within that broadhead that was pretty cool yeah that is cool i've looked at those a little bit and kind of wondered uh you know with the exchangeable bleeders or replaceables or whatever you call them and what it it's like on a single bevel to have you know beveled main edge but not bleeders and vice versa now this is a question that's kind of baffled me a little bit and i'm sure you've done a little bit of testing but um if you are to make a true single bevel, at some point in time, like the tip of the broadhead ends up being flat as opposed to pointed, um, mm. right? Is that? Am I thinking about this right? You know, kind of like the old bones or whatever. Like you, you end up with just like two bevels that come together from each direction, and you end up with a flat edge on the front. It might be sharp, but it's not pointed. 
Um, and then you have the other option of kind of at the end, taking that down to like a Tanto or something like that. Have, right. Is yeah. there, is there any, uh, drawback to having that old traditional style, just kind of flat fronted sharp edge as opposed to a point? Okay. Personally, I much prefer the, the flat point. Just oh, really? Two, two bevels meeting together. Mm -hmm. It's super simple. It's extremely easy to sharpen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just go boom, boom, you know, on either side, like anybody can sharpen those heads, especially if they're thick enough where you can really feel the bevel and they're very durable in an impact. And when you have like, when you introduce a Tanto, then it it gets pretty hard to to sharpen that. Mm -hmm. You're like, is this double bevel? Is a single bevel? Like it gets, it gets a little complicated in there, but like, say like the Bishop Holy Trinity or the um the alien v2 alien v2 is really cool because it's it's an inch and a half wide and it's just a triangle just like that i mm-hmm. mean just like you said you know it comes to a flat tip but but it's really sharp and man that thing they what happens is they they're easy to sharpen but then they rotate much more effectively hmm. than they would with a tanto tip mm-hmm. much more like that that head rotated like i think it was 70 degrees in gel whereas like the uh, the iron wheel i want to say was like 35 or something I, I could be wrong in that but i think maybe it was 50 but it was you know it was much less than that and so i found that if your goal is to get more rotation than having that like the uh, the vpa the new vpa single bevel mm-hmm. it has that same thing just the two blades and it really doesn't affect penetration like people think it does but it, it really doesn't hmm. it, you know like if you're if you're pushing it this is what i found if it, this is like a big controversial thing but if you take um like and i've seen tests like this they'll take some hide or a hide simulant and they'll They'll have like a, a gauge and they're pushing the, the broadhead through it. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing by hand, they see how much pressure it takes to penetrate through the hide. And so they'll see like, like with this type of tip, man, it just pushes right through, you know, two pounds of pressure. This one, you got to push 10 pounds of pressure. But when that thing is flying at 270 feet per second, <laughs> it makes no difference. Like, it really doesn't. I mean, that's why you see like a bullet, you know, you got a blunt big old ball, you know, and it, it yeah. just punches through it. And and I know a broadhead's different, but it's you know, there's something about the speed that makes a difference. And that's it's the same thing. It's a bit controversial, but the three to one at the whole ratio, you know, mm-hmm. the height yeah. to width, three to one, you know, the, the mechanical advantage. That's great for designing a wheelchair ramp. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great for like, okay, you know, lifting something. But when it comes to penetrating at high speed, I, I found that the shorter broadheads with a steeper angle and less surface area penetrate better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just from my testing. That's what I've seen over and over. Now, you know, I know the medium that you're putting it through can make a difference, but for my testing, shorter, less surface area penetrates better than three to one. Yeah. So anyway, so the thing is, though, like to get back to that, the sharpness doesn't affect penetration nearly as much as people think. Mm-hmm. So like I've taken a like a two blade, the same head, and one of them is super sharp. And then the other one, I'll take a steel file. And I mean, I will file it down, like really file it down to where it's blunt like a butter knife. And I shoot it through, you know, a few mediums and it, the, the one that's blunt penetrates like slightly, ever so slightly less than the one that's super sharp. Mm-hmm. Now, the one super sharp is cutting tissue more effectively. But the point is that the penetration comes a lot more from the momentum than it does 
from the sharpness. Mm -hmm. And so edge integrity is much more important than felt sharpness. So if you have a tip that's like, maybe you you know, have this little cool tento that's really pointy, you go, man, that's really pointy, but then maybe that makes it weaker and because it's a thinner bevel. And if that gets dinged up on impact, that's gonna penetrate way less than a head that has those two blades, or those two edges that come together because it, it, you know, it's a stronger steel. It's thicker than it because it's not gonna, it's not gonna get dinged up, and that edge integrity is gonna allow it to penetrate more effectively. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you mentioned um, mechanical advantage a while ago, and I, I had this discussion multiple times with uh, Isaac Smith at, at Vector Custom Shop. He's an air builder, and um, he's a real smart guy, and uh, he he has studied a lot on the Ashby theory and all that stuff. And we were discussing, and he made the point like that three to one mechanical advantage probably really holds a ton of merit when it comes to, you know, shooting 190 foot per second projectiles out of a trad bow, you know, but nowadays with modern equipment, you know, that's kind of skewed a little bit, but I kind of wonder where, where that in, like, is there a new mechanical advantage to go by? You know what I'm saying? So like with our modern equipment, is it feasible for us to just shoot horizontal bladed broadheads? Kind of like almost like a, uh, decap or something for turkeys you know what i'm saying like yeah what, what can you could you just send a uh something that looks like a t pretty much in through a deer that as long as it's sharp and exit you you know like where does it where does it end yeah i it's funny because i've heard different things about that but overall what i've come to believe is that the angle matters a lot less than people think mm -hmm. i mean that's that's overall what i think um like like if it's it can be almost horizontal just a little bit of angle and it still penetrates really mm -hmm. well you know i mean there it, it does get a bit better as it gets narrower but not as much as people think so it's more like how it looks and how people feel it's going to penetrate mm -hmm. than it is actually the penetration so i mean that's what i think <laughs> hey, everything really in archery is marketing man we all know that <laughs> you is. know yeah okay like, like here's here's another way you can see it say in the sever and other heads that are like that that same gator style of heads you have those little wing butts okay the butts of the blades the opposite those are the ones that are pushed you know on impact uh -huh. and they flip the, the they swing the blades open and if you look at it from the top those little wing butt things are like over the blade for about you know, like an inch of it. Mm -hmm. And so you, you go, well, then what's actually cutting that? How is that flat, blunt wing butt covering the blade? How does that penetrate? It does. Like, yeah. I tell you, it does. <laughs> and I do the penetration test and it out penetrates a lot of other heads that don't have that because that it's, it's not as important as, as what people think. Mm -hmm. So like I said, Isaac from Vector is a pretty sharp dude, if I could say so myself. Shit. Handsome, but also sharp in men mentality as well, okay? <laughs> and Isaac knows what's up when it comes to arrows as well as broadheads. He has made some really, really cool stuff, and we're super excited to shoot him this year. Some really great arrows that are durable, but also not super duper heavy, so you can end up with some really good FOCs. So if you haven't, go check out Vector Custom Shop, go to their custom arrow building tool, and pick you out some Vector custom arrows today and the same really thing with the sever too that i think is interesting is that they have like a self-induced edge chatter where they you know where the o-ring goes they just you know take the sharp spot out and 
apparently that doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, that yeah. People think a lot of times people comment, "Well, there was a ding in that." I'm like, no, that was where the rubber band went. Yeah, yeah, because the the big thing with the sever is they they make up for that a lot with that you know the ability of it to swing, and so if it one blade hits a bone, you know, it can swing around it without veering off course. And it can penetrate really effectively. And then the back part, those two, what's really unique about that head is the two back edges of the blades kind of, they touch each other and they, and they have a, they, they, if they hit a really hard impact, they have a little bit of an angle to them, a little bit of a bevel and they'll slide over each other. And mm-hmm. it's a pain because they get stuck open. Yes. But I've that's seen its beauty. That. And yeah, that's I've had to take pliers and pull them out. But that's its beauty. That's why they don't break. Because one, they lock open when they do that. The only other um, mechanical, that, to my knowledge, that locks open is the afflictor because it's considered barbed if it doesn't lock open. Mm-hmm. But the severs, you know, if you pull them backwards, they'll open up. But they, they lock in their full position and they just swing like that. But, but two, if they hit something really hard, they have that little bit of ability to absorb it by the, the back ends of the blades rolling over each other. So that serves as a shock absorber and keeps the blades from breaking. So it's, it's really interesting how that works. So can you, unique. can you talk about um, and explain for those who might not know what the difference in a front deploying and a rear deploying head is, and then how, or if that makes much of a difference in penetration and how that makes a difference? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's, each head is a little bit different, but in theory, there's the heads like, say, the Grim Reapers or the Schwackers, where the blades are tucked up at the top, and there's a little bit of an arm that's sticking out. And upon impact, that arm is forced backwards from the tip of the broadhead back to the back of the broadhead. It folds out. It flops outward. And so at, at impact, it has a really small hole, just that hole that you see, this, you know, the diameter of the head in the closed position. But as it drives through the animal, those blades open up and they start to cut more tissue. So that's the over-the-top deploying mechanical. Then the rear deploying mechanical is like an NAP kill zone or a rage or a sever where it's, it's just the opposite. There's something in the front the back edge of the blade is in the front and it forces the blades back and they open from the back. And so that, by the time that that area hits the the hide, the broadhead is in its fully open position. So you're getting a much larger entrance hole and the broadhead is cutting right away. It's cutting tissue rather than absorbing some of that power by opening up. And so that's kind of the theory behind it. And like for me, when it comes to turkeys, I actually prefer an over-the-top deploying broadhead for turkeys because if you shoot it through the wing butt or something, man, that's really hard to penetrate. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's funny for such a small animal. I mean, it's really hard to penetrate that. And if you have a rear deploying broadhead, you shoot it through the tail. I mean, it can work, but it's hard to break through all those quills and those those spines. But uh, uh, over the top deploying, it's going in small and then opening up big. And so it's easier to penetrate a really difficult thing on the outside. So I like it for that purpose. But other than that, I prefer the rear deploying broadhead because I, at least I'm going to get one big hole. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I'm not getting a pass through, I want to pass through, but if I'm not getting a pass through with the over the top deployment, then I'm just getting one small hole, you know, the broadhead in the closed position. Yeah. But if a rear deploying, if I only get one hole, 
that one hole is going to be a big one. And so I'm guaranteed at least one big hole. And so I, I prefer it for that reason. I think I'm going to shoot uh, some of those Grim Reaper hybrids this year, kind of hoping for kind of the best of both worlds there. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. And I use those. I, I've taken a number of hogs and deer with those. I really like those. Mm-hmm. And I like the new um, Jekyll and Hyde. You know, the original owner or designer of Gravedigger made those. I really like the new hybrid that he came out with. Um, for the, you know, the the Gravedigger, it's funny. Like, I there's a time that I, in Missouri, I shot a really nice buck. I look at it right here on my wall. And it was a little bit quartering toward me. And I mean, I, I drilled it with one of those and then it turned around, ran away at 40 yards. It was cording away. I drilled it again and there was just no blood. Hmm. I mean, I never found a drop of blood. I found the animal and it hadn't gone that far and it's got two giant cuts in it, but there was no blood because it just, I mean, I say giant cuts. I mean, a lot of tissue because there's the one inch plus the cross, but it didn't open up. And so there wasn't the blood that that's created. There wasn't the hole that's created from a, a rear deploying head. So I don't know, like it, they can certainly work, but I've had better success with a rear deploying mechanical than an over the top, even with like a, a, a hybrid like that. Yeah. So we're talking about the point of contact where your broadhead meets the deer. But to get to that point, to get the shot off, you got to figure out when that deer is going to be in your area in the daylight. And one way that we're going to do that this year is by using the Moultrie Delta cell cam. And we've already been using it on the Map Scout Challenge Series quite a bit. We, we deployed a few of those already uh, in the last week or so, and they're working for us up in Michigan and in Ohio right now. So if you're interested in running a cell cam this year, go check out MoultrieMobile.com. So I have, you know, speaking of mechanicals, I I started out kind of like a lot of people did and shot rages because, you know, that's what's marketed the heaviest, I would say. And yeah. uh, uh, had some, you know, some good stuff and some bad stuff, whatever. But uh, since just a lot of experience, I now pretty much have a complete and total embargo on any aluminum ferrules on my mm-hmm. broadheads, uh, whether that is, you know, fixed or mechanical. Uh, am I totally off the mark there? Or what do you think about aluminum on broadheads? Okay, that's a really good question. And I've gone back and forth. There was a time that I didn't know any better and I never even thought of it. Then mm-hmm. there's a time that I was like, okay, steel only. And then as I've tested more and more, first of all, the aluminums are not all created equal. You know, there's yeah, a big sure. difference between 6061 and 7075. I mean, a significant difference. So, you know, so they'll, a lot of the times they'll say, aircraft aluminum because you know most people don't know you know, they say oh it's they built a plane out of this which is true but it's you know it's resistance to impact is much greater in the 7075 aluminum than it is the 6061 so however even the 7075 that's stronger than some steels but not most steels mm-hmm. so it's not as strong however i've shot these you know aluminum ferrule heads into uh, steel plate. I just did it just the other, yesterday with a Grim Reaper Whitetail Special, and man, that ferrule came out looking really good. I mean, it had a little bit of a wobble to it, but it came out looking good. However, if I hit something hard at an angle, that's when the aluminum really shows. When there's a lateral pressure, an angled pressure on it, a mm-hmm. sideways pressure, that's where that aluminum can really bend. A hard impact straight on, they typically do fine. But from an angle, they don't typically do fine. So I I prefer steel or titanium. I'll, I'll go with titanium. But then again, 
the design makes a difference. I mean, you look at some ferrules and they're extremely vented. Like maybe they have four blades coming out of them. So it's like super vented. So mm-hmm. there's not that much material in there. Well, if it's really vented and it's aluminum, oh man, that makes a difference. Or <laughs> if it's really long, like if it's really long, well, then it's not going to be as durable when it when it hits at an angle like that. So if it's really long and really vented, like say an NAP, like an NAP, like kill zone, I mean, that's really vented and, mm-hmm. and really long and it's aluminum. So you go, uh, that that may not be very good, not as good as steel, but you can have a really short, stocky, not super vented aluminum. And just by its geometry, it's going to be stronger. So it's not just the materials. It's the material plus the design, the geometry, the amount of material there is. All that makes a difference in the overall durability. Yeah, Dude, you know so much about this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm being too nerdy. No, like, let's go. Let's go. No, that's that's why that's why we got you on because you know this stuff and I love it. I just don't quite, um, I guess, have the passion to you know go as deep as you do on, on this stuff. So it's really cool that you you know do that. So it's really cool. And with that, um, so you test broadheads primarily on your youtube channel you do a lot of a lot of other stuff right but that's kind of what's what you do you know on a day in and day out basis as far as uh, you know your contribution through the youtube world it seems to me so um and you've gone through this testing process for quite a few years now and done a bunch of different stuff but uh, i was telling you off air earlier i really feel like you've like got this thing nailed now for like what the uh riggers you put broadheads through is so can you tell us a little bit about like the the development of a testing process for broadheads and kind of why you are where you're at on that yeah yeah that's a great question you ask great questions but thank you for that thanks man appreciate that (laughs) they're very long is the problem (laughs) (laughs) i think about this stuff a lot okay being an engineer i mean i have a degree in civil engineering not like I studied broadhead design as an engineer, but it teaches you how to think like an engineer. Mm-hmm. And so I really do have some some things in mind when I'm creating the test. My first test, my first broadhead test video, I won a, a Bishop Dicing drill on archery talk. It was a little giveaway and it was a random draw. And then the guy said, hey, you know, I had a few bow hunting videos. He said, hey, maybe do a test of it and show it on your video because you you want it. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I didn't know what to do. I shot it through a pumpkin. I shot it through. (laughs) I had a two by four. I'm like, I'll shoot it through that. I had a frozen shoulder of a hog. I'm like, let me shoot it into that. I just kind of had fun and shot stuff. Yeah. And that, but, but then I posted it and people liked it. And then I'm like, Hey, you know, why don't I, and it, from then that was about five years ago. It's evolved so much because I'm always like thinking, What's next? What's next? My goal is this. I want to provide real data points, consistent data points by which, with which you can use to compare one head to the other. So that's the goal, comparative data points. So you can compare head to head. People ask me all the time, why don't you test these unreal animals? Well, I put up a, a broadhead test video at least once a week. I don't have 50, 60 animals that I can shoot, you know, to test. Should have moved to Texas, John. I know. (laughs) Bro, let me tell you, with hogs, I mean, 365, 24-7, believe me, I thought about that. My dream place to live is, like, in in the hill country of West Texas. Mm -hmm. That's, like, I have an aunt who lives in Kerrville. Man, I would just love to live in that area. Yeah, beautiful. But anyway, so I, you know, I, I want... 
I, I, I want comparative data points. And with animals, one, I don't have enough animals, but two, even if I did, there, there, that's not, there's no comparative value. Like you can say, look, this had punched right through the shoulder. Look, this had broken the shoulder. Yeah, well, the different shoulders have different geometries, different bone densities. They hit at slightly different angles. They're not all flat. And so they, it's good to see what happens but it, you can't compare that head to head. And I see people saying this head's stronger because it, you know, made it through this animal. This one broke on an animal. I go, you can't say that. You have to have homogeneity. You've got to have, you got to have consistency. You've got to have uniformity in the tests if you're going to compare them. So my goal is to provide comparative data. So the number one rule is it, the tests have to be consistent, as consistent as possible. Mm -hmm. So and then number so that's what I do. All my test mediums are consistency. One of my challenges is if I change from like like I change my test a little bit from 2020 to 2021, well then it's hard to compare the data points with 2021 with those of 2020. Exactly. Because but, yeah, they're a little bit different. It's a content dream because now you just get to redo all your old tests. <laughs> I know. I know. If I have enough broadheads, I do that, but Sometimes it's hard to get the broadheads again. Somebody donates a pack or something. Mm -hmm. I just have one pack, so I can't do it again. But yes, yeah, some I redo like that with the new uh, protocols. But so first of all, it, it has to be uniform. And so like I do a penetration test. And one of my penetration tests, I, I want it to simulate an animal as much as I can possibly do while still being uniform. So I use a half inch of MDF medium density fiber board to, to imitate bone. I used to use plywood, but then plywood has knots and it has grains and mm -hmm. it makes a bit of a difference. I know MDF can sometimes not be as uniform, but it's more uniform than plywood. And so I use that and then I surround it with two different layers, one in the front, one in the back of two thirds of an inch rubber foam mat. That's to simulate hide. And then I back behind that is clear ballistics, FBI grade gel which, you know, it, it's designed to exactly simulate tissue, human tissue. Mm -hmm. I know in a broadhead application, it's not as effective as it is like in a, in a bullet concussion um, application because the, the gel can tend to stick to the broadhead, the shaft and the blades, whereas in an animal, you know, it's lubricated by the, the blood and the fluid. So mm -hmm. it's a little different, but it's consistent. And the clear gel is kind of cool because you can see the broadhead go into it. Yeah. So I test all of them like that and I see, okay, how well do they penetrate? And I'll mark the, you know, the, I'll measure the penetration as well as the total tissue cut and like the cutting diameter uh, when is it open? If it's a, a mechanical, when does it open to its full length times the number of inches that it penetrated and I get the total tissue cut. So you can compare different heads. You go, well, this big giant broadhead, you know, it made a really big hole, but only penetrated four inches. Yeah, but it cut more tissue than this smaller head that penetrated eight inches mm -hmm. because the cut. So, you know, so I provide that so you can compare it. Then I have another data point that I shoot them through layers of cardboard. I really Very like that consistent. one. That's one of my like favorites, that? man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the consistency and it's, it's the one that you can just straight up compare all broadheads, you know, mechanical or fixed on the same scale right there. I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm trying to like, there's little things you go, how do I get the cardboard layers to stick together? <laughs> finally, I, came, I finally came up with this idea of just getting four big old F clamps and they're like, you know, I got them on Amazon. And so they just cinch 
the, the, the cardboard together. It's easy to unscrew and take them apart. And I'll just count the layers and you see it. And that's a, it's an amazing test because, okay, like, like the Exodus, I tested the Exodus. I just posted that video last night that went through 66 layers mm -hmm. of cardboard. Whereas like, you know, you'll see a, another two blade head that penetrates through like 48 layers. And mm -hmm. you're like, what? Like, it's amazing. Sometimes it's really counterintuitive what happens. I'm not saying that exactly simulates an animal, but I am saying that's a data point. So, so it's very consistent. You can compare. Absolutely. And I want to continue on with that, but I would like to deviate it for just a second. I know you love sure. the exit, the Q80 Exodus and, uh, I've shot a deer with it and I, I like it. Okay. Uh, I, I haven't used it a ton, but, um, can you maybe hypothesize as to why it is such a good penetrator in your tests? Yeah. Yeah. There's some things they've really done super well. Like one, there's very little surface area mm -hmm. because it's so flat, especially in the swept blade model. There's just very little surface area. So surface area can tend to like when it passes through bone or, you know, more dense tissue, of course, in my tests, you know, like the gel or the, the paper, but in an animal bone or really dense tissue, dry, drier tissue, um, it, the, the surface area, it catches and it, it creates a friction. So the greater the surface area, the more friction there is that impedes the penetration. That's one thing. So the exodus, what it does is it, you know, it, it has very little surface area like that. Then it has a really fat feral. And with a fat feral, like a thick feral, one, it's it's extra durable, but two, it opens up a hole that the shaft can just slide right through. Similar to how um, a two-blade single bevel, it you know it 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 torques what, upon hitting a bone and it splits the bone, and then the shaft can penetrate right through it. Mm -hmm. Well, a wide feral does the same. So, like the Exodus or say a tooth of the arrow. They have a really fat feral. And one, for flight, that makes it better because the weight is really concentric. Mm. And it's close, you know, it's all close to the center. But then two, it opens up that, that real big hole and the shaft just glides right through it. So that's another reason. Then with the Exodus, too, they they did this really masterful thing. Their chisel tip, it's a, and I tried to point it out in that video, but yeah, I saw it, that. It yeah, it has the same blade angle. As the blades, the blades mm -hmm. continue on that same blade angle, whereas there's other heads. I compared it to the wasp that there's that little tip and then the blades flare out from it. So that puts a lot. It's good that, you know, you're getting a cut there, but it's bad that you're you know, there's a lot of pressure on the blade at that point. I've seen a number break right at that point. So having that consistency of the blade angle that helps the penetration. And then the blades are just really thick. 0.040 inches thick. And, and for whatever reason, they have figured out a way to retain that edge like very few heads can do with just a stainless steel. I mean, you, maybe you saw it in the video, but I shot it through steel plate five times. You literally could not tell it had been shot at all. Mm -hmm. And you'll see other heads go like I just, I'm testing the, the Striker X right now, the G5 Striker X. You know, it did pretty good through the steel. I mean, it did, you know, respectable. But, you know, first shot, the, the blades were all nicked up. The Exodus, five shots and mm -hmm. no nicks. Yeah. I and think you go, that, that's going to make a difference. It's kind of wild for, um, and that, this is probably the topic of mine for a lot of people that, you know, that are listening is that 
what that Exodus can do in your test for the price point that it's at. I think that's what's the craziest thing. You know, of course, like with the Iron Wheel or maybe like, uh, I don't know, I've been looking at the, um, who are those guys out of Colorado? The Cutthroats, right? So oh, like the three-break yeah. Cutthroat, like I, I'm kind of interested in that too, but they're expensive. And then you look at the Exodus and it's like, what, they're $30 for a pack of three or something like that, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, thirty nine bucks for three. Yeah. You know, they they do something in their hardening process of that stainless that I don't nobody else has figured out how to do it. <laughs> I mean, I and I've asked them about it. You know, they they won't tell me it's proprietary. The Rockwell. I mean, they said it's like low to mid fifties, mm-hmm. but they've just figured out something. I mean, I've shot a lot of heads, and that tip has held up in steel flat bar. I mean, I've shot it smack into a steel flat bar and it held together fine. Whereas like the iron will in a steel flat bar, it, it fell apart. I mean, you can't expect it. Sure. I don't yeah. fault the iron will for that. We're not killing but, steel flat bar. So it's fine. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but as a data point, cause that tip in the Exodus one, it's really sharp. Like when you feel it, it's not just like a pyramid mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, little point it's sharp cause it has a little bit of concavity to it, but then two it's, it flares out really fast. Like it's, it's like really wide. It's not like a narrow little tip. So with that width, it starts the cut really well, and then it just continues through the blade length. I don't know. They've got it, they've got it down. I wish they made a four blade, but they have no. <laughs> That'd be cool. They, they're like <laughs> they know they got a good thing, and they're just like you know QA doesn't QAD doesn't make a lot of new stuff, but what they make, they make really well. Yeah, they've and got they just, the they end keep running it. <laughs> For real, yeah. I mean, you make yeah. the the rest that everyone uses, and then you make a really good broadhead. I mean, you don't really have to do a lot more, you know. What I mean? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, <laughs> others are like, let's do this, let's do this, and I love that too. I mean, I yeah, love sure. the companies like Grim Reaper that they've got you know more different models than any other company, and they're mm-hmm. a mom and pop shop, a family owned business. But I love the you know all the different designs. But I also really respect we got one and we do it really well. Mm-hmm. And and then that those blades are replaceable. So to have a broadhead that you can shoot through steel plate, the blades do not nick at all. They can hold up in concrete. Even the blades hold up in concrete. And you can either resharpen them or replace them. You go whoa! Mm-hmm. Like with, you would expect some durability like that in a single construction, single piece construction of, you know, tool steel or something, but you can't replace those blades. I mean, you can resharpen them, but you can't replace them. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just amazing what they've been able to do in that head. So this is our main show podcast, like the one we're doing here with John, but we also have another podcast series called Public Pins. It's a podcast we're doing with OnX to really explain how we use their mapping tool to find places we think we can hunt big bucks in the fall, okay? Their tool is awesome. It has so many features that really help us determine where deer might be living, bedding, feeding, all this other stuff, right? Tyler, what is your favorite public my favorite public pen. This is a P part, but <laughs> um, I liked the secondary creek crossings because Ooh. it's kind of something that not many people talk about, and I like. Ooh, is that one even out yet? I don't know. Ooh. I can't remember. You need to make sure and check that out. Those come out on every Tuesday at 6 a.m. So get up, go for a little run, and listen to public pens, and go download the Onyx mapping app today. So let's talk a, you know, a little bit about some of the newer things you've added to your testing protocol. You the uh, I don't remember what you called it, but there's an instrument that you're using to test sharpness with piece of monofilament uh, string. Is that correct? Okay, kind of. Okay, so somebody referenced this. Like I was doing a push paper test. Uh-huh. So I'd shoot it through a medium, 
And then I, you know, first I do the the out of the box sharpness, and then I wanted to do an edge retention test. So I I would you know push paper over it. Well, it's you know some people would say, well that didn't cut the paper really cleanly, and well you pushed too hard or you pulled the paper tighter. And I mean I, I'm not doing anything on purpose, but sure. yeah, I mean there's some yeah. subjectivity to it. Not sub- there's some human error, whatever lack of consistency. So somebody told me about this edge on up. That's what the company edge on up makes this sharpness tester for knives. And what what makes it really unique is it's a scale and it has a little contraption that you can put a blade in, in this case, a broadhead. Or, or no, you, you can put, I'm sorry, you put a clip in on the scale and the clip had, this is the unique thing about it. It has this copolymer wire. So it's not monofilament, it's a copolymer, which is like this really advanced wire. And it's designed to be able to break very cleanly and very consistently with a certain amount of pressure. So it's that consistency. And those are like BESS certified, B-E-S-S. It's some kind of certification. I don't know. They say it's a big thing, BESS certified. So the consistency of that copolymer wire is really consistent and they're not cheap. Like I go through a lot of those things. I have to keep buying them. I asked them to comp me because I'm advertising them so much. Yeah. They didn't even respond to me. But anyway, I keep buying them anyway. That's about anyway, right. So it goes the, the life of a YouTuber, man. I know. Right, right. So you put one of those clips on the scale and this little contraption holds it. And then you just press the broadhead really slowly. I speed it up because it takes too long to speed it up in the video, but you press the broadhead across it and then you see when it breaks and i do it about three or four times for each broadhead to make sure i'm getting a consistent number because sometimes maybe you hit a dull spot or something like that but but so i do that and then i so it gets the initial sharpness very consistent and then i do it after penetration test one so the reason i do it after penetration test one is everything goes through the exact same medium and the old some penetrate you know an inch or two farther than others but the difference is only in gel. And that's not dulling the broadhead very mm-hmm. much at all. Whereas if I did it after the cardboard test, like I said, the Exodus goes through 66 layers. This other head goes through 45. Well, that's not fair to do a, an edge retention test after that. The Exodus is penetrated through 50% more layers. So it's really consistent with after first penetration tests that I do with those materials. So then I do it and I see, well, how much of the sharpness has been lost? And then I come up, that, that measure is in grams because it's grams of pressure needed to cut through the copolymer wire. But then I have a scale of one to 10. And I always describe this in the description box of every video. Um, but I, I have a scale zero to 10 uh, of the sharpness and of the edge retention uh, based on those grams of pressure that it takes to break through the copolymer wire. So it's much more, is it perfect? No, but it's much more consistent than a push paper test. Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, I'm a little confused, I think, on what you're doing sometimes, uh, not because of your own fault, but because I, I don't realize which videos are from what year and stuff, right? But you... I know it. <laughs> I ought to write that. You know, I've thought about doing that. That's the bummer about YouTube. Like, I get a lot of people saying, bro, get a new mic. Well, yeah, they're sure. looking at something from like five years ago. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was like my handy cam in my backyard. You know? I yeah, I know. Man. I go, hey, yeah, thanks well, for the insight, um, but I've gotten better. Are you doing the stroke of the arrow test anymore, or is that gone by the wayside and been mm. replaced by this? That's been replaced. So okay. That's been replaced. So now I do... I just measure it after penetration test one. Gotcha. So rather than stroking the arrow, because some people are like, you're pushing harder on the arrow on this one. I'm like, I'm not. Like, why do you use an arrow? And 
man, that took a lot of thought to find <laughs> a medium that would really test the edge. I yeah. used antler. I used bone. I used skull. I used, I mean, I went through steel. I went through some cardboard and then for some reason, and not all shafts, but the Easton hex shaft within five strokes, it really separated those mm-hmm. that held their heads from those that didn't. But still, this this test is more realistic. It's <clears throat> it's much more consistent. And again, that's what I'm always trying to improve upon is the consistency. And I'm open. Like, I'm already thinking of 2021. Okay, what am I going to do for 2021? And, or 2022, you know, what can I – is there something I can improve upon? I try not to change within a year because I want at least a year of data points. Mm-hmm. And you know what I should do, even as you say that, it reminded me, I should go back and put the year on each of the videos so people know there's a difference yeah. between You can them. just separate them with playlists. Uh, I don't know if you thought about that. but uh, That's a good idea. I, You know, I have, yeah, I do separate playlists, but I haven't done playlists by years. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. No. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, us YouTube's you. gotta, YouTubers got to stick together, man. That's right. They're going to watch out for each other. <laughs> Nobody else yeah. is. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so We're homogeneic or whatever right. you said. <laughs> that's right. Got to be careful with that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's actually a pretty trendy thing to say. These yeah, days. for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I like that you, and, and this is kind of a shame, but I like that you dropped the uh, the bag test with water or whatever, you know? The, yeah. Because it's kind oh, of subjective. It's pretty to tough. Work. Man, it needs you know, to work because it's, it's, it's really a cool thought, but it's just almost impossible we almost just have to just say okay here's the width diameter of cut and you can imagine what that's going to do you know that's what you have to do because what i found okay i mean i was determined to make that work i tried milk jugs i tried you know soda mm-hmm. can soda bottles i tried paper you know plastic then i found online like the thickest strongest ziploc bags known to man and they weren't cheap and so i i got those and i was so excited about those and I took the same, and at first I thought it was working. Then I took the same broadhead and I shot it in the exact same spot on two different bags, completely different time. I mean, like, <laughs> like many, like 50% longer on one. And what it was is it's like, what angle did the blades hit at? Or like, were the, was it rotated where two of the three blades were like on the bottom or were the two of the three blades on the top? Cause there's more pressure, you know, the lower it is in the bag. And so like, I just, then I just go, this is, it's, it's fun. People do it in a video and it can look real. Oh, and then I had like a, a really small broadhead versus a giant cut one. And the small broadhead like drained the bag so much faster. <laughs> I go, okay, this is like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so I, I, I just, it, because again, consistency, is everything. And so I, I stopped doing that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, man. What do you think about the consistency of the Haydite block? That's something. So I've, you know, done construction most of my life. And I know that since it's the final test and you're going to destroy a broadhead, it doesn't really matter. Right. But at the same time, uh, those are like, there's little pieces of stuff in that thing. And I always think about that every time I look at it, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's true. You, the cinder block you're talking about, right? What do you call it? Yeah. Hey dot. Hey dot. Hey Yeah. Oh. Sorry. Cinder block. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, no, that's cool. That I might be a southern that. thing. Hey I dot. call them cinder blocks going up. Yeah. Uh, hey dot. Well. Okay. Maybe it's a KC thing. But <laughs> yeah. but I know what a hey dot hey is dot too. Is kind of that material, I guess, of like the uh, compressed concrete or whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, I know that, and I know too. You know, if the arrow hits flush, I mean, dead straight on, 
it's going to do better than if it hits at the a slightest different angle. So, yeah, and the medium, you know, you look at it, like you said, there's, you know, if it hits on that little hard piece versus between those two little hard pieces, mm-hmm. it's going to do different. So, yeah, it's it's not the best. But, you know, as a zero penetration test, that's the overall goal is I'm not measuring the depth of penetration in it. I'm just measuring the the strength of the broadhead when it doesn't penetrate at all. Yeah, exactly. And so and and that's that's the whole goal of it. But you know what? I mean, and so I have this broadhead box. I had my buddy construct one that I can I now I shoot the the broadhead through this box and I put a top over it so the arrow won't bounce out of it and it, it hits the the cinder block in the back of this box. And so it's about, you know, maybe three and a half feet long. So I'm thinking, well this is really safe yesterday. I shot a, a broadhead and it goes straight in and bounced out like the insert. It came off the insert, the epoxy, whatever it came out. And the broadhead or the arrow came back exactly straight. I mean, there oh, was gosh. no wobble and it flew right. I mean, right past me. And I was like, <laughs> okay, crap. You almost got <laughs> impregnated with I a mean, knock. I, I stopped. <laughs> like I just, I couldn't test anymore that day. I just was like, I don't know. <laughs> I got to do something. And so I was asking a buddy, you know, what, what to do. And he said he had built this little cage out of chicken wire, really compact wire, and made it like a like a ground blind with a thing to shoot through when he was shooting through at heart. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. But anyway, that, that scared me. I've had them bounce, and I felt like pieces of the cinder block or even pieces of the, the broadhead had come back and hit me. You know, not, nothing serious, but just a little bit. I wear glasses. But that was like the shaft coming straight back. Like that was weird. I mean, it has to thread this needle to come out of that broadhead box with no wobble. It was just, but I, I don't know if God was giving me a warning or Satan was trying to get me. You, know? <laughs> you never know, right? Yeah, you, you never know. know. Uh, who knows? It might have just been some uh, broadhead company that didn't like your testing process. That was just <laughs> setting you up. I do get some of that, too. <laughs> I, I do get some of that. So uh, tell us this, John. What's... Um, what are some of the newcomers that you've been impressed with in, in the broadhead world? That's a good question. Let me say this, you know, I, I really respect pretty much any broadhead and, and I don't mean that, you know, I mean that in all sincerity in my earlier testing. And that's another reason I should date it. I, I was, I was too harsh with some of the broadheads and here's a guy, you know, that's, it's somebody's dream and they, you know, they've done their best to create something. And I want to be respectful because the fact is most broadheads are going to be lethal with a great shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the reality. I'm, I'm splitting hairs and I'm, you know, getting into these comparative data points and they're, they're important. Like, cause if you can get a head that holds up to a concrete block versus one that doesn't, why would you not want the one that can hold up to a concrete block? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a good thing, but I can, what I decided to do was create data points. So I'm not having to give as much subjective, you know, things like this is terrible, or, you know, I would never use that. I can let the data points speak for themselves. So I, I try to do that. And, and so I'm saying that saying, you know, any broadhead, I try to respect and try not to bad mouth it and stuff. But, um, but I have been really surprised with some of them. The sever really surprised me. Like, when I did the original 2.0, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Didn't penetrate that well. The tip, you know, wasn't that strong. But then they made some changes. And when I first shot that 1.5 into concrete three times and it held up fine and through steel plate five times. I mean, I haven't had any mechanical able to like uh, an afflictor held up 
through steel plate, I think once, but, and that was really impressive, but it's so rare that a, a mechanical can do that. And I did it five times. That was like one of those blow away. Oh my gosh, this is revolutionary kind of a, a moment in broadheads. Then there's others. Like I decided to do some budget broadhead testing, like just cheap Amazon heads. Yeah, and cool. some are just cheap Amazon heads. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> but there's this other one is made by D power. You know, go, what's D power? I, I don't even know. It doesn't, it's not like deep power or is it not like deer power, D power, one word, D E E P O W E R <laughs> just sold on Amazon is Chinese company, but man, they made this, this thing or this, uh, single piece construction, three blades, that thing, Man, it held up through steel. It was like it was as good as any I tested, and it was like it cost like five bucks each. Well, like, you just sold a bunch head. of I those, mean, apparently, <laughs> on our they, channel. <laughs> they sold out. I mean, after I posted that video, that the broadheads on Amazon sold out. Boom. I mean, they must love me over there. And they're that. Then they don't exist anymore. You can't get them now. No, they still do. No, oh, okay. Now they, they've made more, and they're back there. Yeah, a lot of people use them and and love them. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, gosh, it shows you how much money is put into marketing and stuff like that, you know, cause there's somebody can just like do it for really cheap. But anyway, that sometimes a, a really cheap one will impress me like that. So yeah, those have been some, like in terms of revolutionary design, like, I don't know if I've seen a design like other than that, you know, maybe like the Saver, I go, that's kind of genius, the way those back arms lock. There's some that are really good um, that I've been impressed with. I don't know if I've been like really shocked by some, but there's always some that I, oh, oh, like I was I was shocked with um, the, uh, what's it called? I just drew a blank. The um, Rampat, that that was just so weak. I, you know, the blades, you know, fell off and first shot through, mm-hmm. You know, MDF or something. I was like, whoa, that was, re- oh, the Mega Meat was another one. I'm in the process of testing it right now. Somebody, a viewer sent in a pack and was really grateful to test it. And man, the first penetration test, the blades just bent terribly. I'm like, whoa, that rarely happens in that penetration test. That's, you know, mm-hmm. so there's some that just are disappointing. Um, but anyway, that, there's nothing that's really stood out as this is a game changer kind of thing. But then I test so many, like it's hard to find something that's that. Unique sure. Nowadays. It all ends up being, uh, I believe this is the right word, monogamous. You might help me. Uh, that's actually, <laughs> it all kind of blends together, right? So it's kind of. Yeah, yeah. there is, you know, and there's a lot of similarity. A lot of times people say, well, that looks like this head. Well, that looks like this head. Well, there's only so much you can do, you know, with a, yeah. a piece of metal at the end of an arrow. You know, there's going to be something that it looks like. Cause, yeah. You know, they, they're all just. I mean, there's thousands of broadheads and there's going to be, and then they do copy, you know, different things mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, I, you know, I like testing to see how the different materials compare to each other and the different bevel angles. And, you know, I like seeing things like that the most. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. We, we kind of need to wrap it up because I don't feel like we need to take too much more of your time, but we really appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, all your knowledge and stuff, man, and, and your friendship and just, it's just cool what you do. And so I really appreciate it. But so oh, for, the, for the common guy, um, you know, you've went through the gamut of, you know, like you just said, Amazon heads as opposed to, you know, the most expensive stuff out there, which I think those bishops are about as expensive as it get. And, um, it's kind of a struggle to kind of understand where the value is on broadheads because, you know, um, you look at like a pack of rages that are in the 30s, uh, you know, they kill stuff, but they're single use, like for sure, 
right? And uh, I guess you can replace the blades on them if you wanted to, but it's you got to do some stuff to it. Whereas you'd look at something that's a little bit more expensive, like a you know iron wheel or something like that, or or a VPA, and you know they sharpen and they and they you know are just you can use them a hundred times, right? And then you got the bishops on the high end and yada yada. So, do you think that like the premium broadheads are for everybody, and that's a good idea, or where where do you think value is in broadheads? That's a really good question, and. And I say that a lot, but that really is a good question. <laughs> Maybe it's and, because and, they, it's true, John. Maybe that's the deal. <laughs> it, it is true. But, but, he, <laughs> but here's the deal with that. It's every, value is a function of everybody's individual budget. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's really impossible to say, like, people ask me all the time, is this worth it? Is, you know, why would you pay that much for it? Like, I heard one time that Bill Gates, if he dropped a $100 bill, it literally would not be worth his time to bend over and pick it up. You know, he's wasted three seconds and mm-hmm. he would have made more money walking, you know, during that. <laughs> like, like, like everyone's budget's so different. You could say the same thing about a car. Is it really, do you really need that truck? Cause you could get this little car for $12,000. You know, do you really need that Mercedes? And, but, you know, everyone's pocket is, you know, different depth and budget is different. You know, do you need that? elite carbon bow or can you really get it done with you know a bass pro special kind of a thing and 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 that's why i like that there's choices and so you know to one person they go gosh 100 bucks for three broadheads that's that's the same amount of like kind of quote unquote money spent as someone else spending ten dollars for three broadheads in in their according to their budget so it's hard to really compare it is there a value? Is there an increase in quality with price? Most of the time, yes. I mean, not all the time, but most of the time there is. And so there's people that just go, I, I can afford it and I'm willing to pay extra money because for me, it's really not that much to get the best of the best. And so they do. And is it better? Yeah. Again, because you go, gosh, if you can get a broadhead that shoots through steel plate five times and looks brand new and goes into cinder block and sticks in it and comes out looking brand new versus one that falls apart. And that is going to make a difference in some hunting situations. It just is. I mean, I've had, I've, I remember, matter of fact, it was with an Exodus. I shot, you know, you saw, I shot an Exodus into the cinder block and I mean, it comes out brand new, but there was a time I shot a hog from the back a long way. And I hit the, like the, the back hip right in the joint, that tip really bent and i'm like hmm. whoa i've never seen one bent, but it's because of the angle it just hits at a different angle so i go if that happened with the exodus what would have happened with all these other heads <laughs> so you know that's why it, there are times that it makes a difference so if i always say get the best broadheads your budget can afford and but again there's there's broadheads that I'll, I'll rate higher that are way less expensive. And so like it, you know, to make it like at the end of every one of my videos, I have a score sheet where it, it, it rates all these, it gives all these data points. You can compare them to all the other broadheads. But then I decided this year to also come up with what I call the Lusk grade. Like I want to dummy down. Okay. Is it good? You know, should I buy it? So I score it based on kind of my overall feel zero to 10 golden arrows and 10 golden arrows means this is elite. Okay. This is really worth your money. So that way, you know, people can see, and there's, there's heads that are super cheap 
they get 10 golden arrows. And then there's some that are super expensive, they get 10. But then there's some that are really expensive, they get like seven. And so, you know, it's not always equated with Christ, but there is a difference by and large with that. Is it, you know, that big of a difference? Again, depends on your budget. You know, maybe it doesn't matter to you and you go, yeah, you know, I can afford that. I'll get it. So I say get the best quality head your budget can buy because I think the animal's deserve us to be using the best equipment possible yeah yeah i think that's important i think um ethics is a weird thing when it comes to killing stuff because uh if you used i guess you know the ethics of humanity uh people would you might even end up to the point where like well maybe you shouldn't kill things right so but that's not really where Mm -hmm. we operate um so Mm -hmm. i think you kind of hit it on the head where it's like you know, we're going to kill things. This is a blood sport. It's a thing that happens, and it's not that that's our most favorite part of it, but it's a part of it, and we understand where our food comes from, and we understand that's just the way it goes. So let's just make it to where everyone can enjoy the process better, even the thing that has to die, right? So mm-hmm. enjoy is probably a weird yeah. way, to put it, way to put it, but, you know, not <laughs> suffer the most, right? And that's kind of – and that's really – what you've done with your extensive process is try to inform people to the best of your ability how to make that happen. So, I mean, it's it's you're doing some good work, John. It's cool stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So, if people want to go check out your channel and see what you have going on, how do they find that? Yeah, just go to YouTube and look up Lusk Archery Adventures. And like we were talking about playlists earlier, I have playlists for broadhead tests, bow tests, my own bow hunts. I've got, I don't know, like... I think over 200 videos now and like 60 are our bow hunts and like 120 are broadhead tests or something like that. But I've got all kinds of different stuff there. And a lot of times I get a question, have you tested this head? Have you, matter of fact, every day on <laughs> Facebook, you can follow me on Facebook, Lost Archery Adventures, Instagram, Lost Archery Adventures. And I, I do my best to respond to every question and stuff that I get. But I, a lot of times I get a question, have you tested this head? Have you tested this head? All you have to do is go to YouTube, type in the name of the broadhead, and then Lusk. And if you do that, <laughs> then it's going to come up if I've tested it. So that's kind of a good way if somebody's wondering, hey, you know, what about this head? Just type in the name of the broadhead and my name, and then and then it'll come up if, I, if I've done a test on it. But yeah, just check me out on YouTube. Follow me on on Facebook, on Instagram, and I'm putting out, you know, one or two videos a week now. And so, you know, hopefully it's just providing helpful information to help people to harvest game more, more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link to all that stuff in the description below. And, uh, man, we really appreciate your time today, John. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great, you know, catching up with you guys as well. I appreciate all that you're doing. You guys have a great show, great information, and it's an honor to be a part of it. Man, John got me wanting to shoot a sever this Ooh, year. John's got me wanting to shoot, man. <laughs> He's got so much cool stuff going on, man. And like I appreciate how scientific he is about things and how I guess maybe it's not scientific because he doesn't we talked about this today because we're doing a really cool experiment we can't tell y'all about right now, but um that'll come out soon. Anyways, uh, to use scientific method, you have to have a hypothesis. So what John is doing instead is just accumulating data, which I think is really important because it just lets us make our own hypotheses about what he is doing. And I think what's important that he really does a good job of is he remains neutral on everything and gives everything a chance. And I don't know if he said this in the podcast or off podcast, but I'll go ahead and say it. John said that, Back in the day, he was a little bit hard on stuff, but nowadays he thinks that 
every broadhead's cool because somebody like worked at it and made it and kind of tried to innovate. And I think that's it's neat, man, to mm-hmm. appreciate the innovation of people and people just trying to do something new. You know, like um, the old classic line is that um, Edson like tried to invent the light bulb a whole bunch before he ever got it right. You know, and it's like, well, if you have to you know, make a whole bunch of guitars that don't make any sound until you finally make a guitar that, you know, has six strings and sounds really good. Like it took all those bad things to make the good things. So mm-hmm. it's okay if a broadhead comes out and it isn't that great the first yeah. go around. I, I, I definitely would subscribe to that methodology, but I also have a question that <laughs> oh, I would you aim towards you. Questions. <laughs> um, what, what about the company that is a conglomerate that just wants to make a lot of money and that's all they care about? I think that those things weed themselves out. Yeah. That's what I think happens. They do, especially these days in this consumer market. But still, I just feel like I'm like, man, sometimes some of these conglomerates need to understand that there's something wrong with this product, you know? Yeah. So not that they're going to understand that through the element channel or whatever, you know? But like, um, I think it's good to truthfully and maybe gracefully put out the fact that something is wrong with the product. I think Mm -hmm. it's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. But I definitely. What I you think trying what, to get at here, Tyler? I think I like what John says. I, th- I do. <laughs> I thought and you I had try one be... you wanted to put out there. No, I don't think so. Do do I have one? <laughs> I don't that think I you don't do. know. No, that? I okay. just thought maybe you would. Okay. No, no, no. I don't have anything. Um, I mean, um, you. I, I never experienced broadhead failure, as far as I know. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm the one who's had an issue, and it's really just. Uh, it's not like a a brand thing. It's more of a just mechanicals. I've had issues with mechanicals a little bit, but. That's yeah, crazy. I've uh, shot a lot of deer with a mechanical and have not had a problem, and I'm hoping to do the same this year. I'm actually probably going to be shooting a mechanical most of the year, if not all the year this year. So I actually went and bought some Grim Reapers the other day. Uh, you and me both did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you've got some severs somewhere. We might get some more severs to try out. And Because I did shoot them in... Like I like the idea of them. I remember when we talked to them a couple of years ago on our archery series podcast, actually almost exactly two years ago, I think, mm-hmm. um, that was, um, you know, eye opening to me. I was like, Oh, this is a, this sounds like good, you know, good theory here that they're pitching out. So anyway, going to try a few things, but, um, I just want, I don't know. I just want a big, I want to put a big hole in something, you know what I mean? So you bought into that market, bro. <laughs> No, yeah, I know no, what you're saying for yeah. sure. After I'm just having, tired of slits that don't bleed. I know. After having that situation last year where we all had had times that we didn't have good blood trails. Yeah. It's like it's not fun. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if I'm putting two holes in these things and they're not bleeding still, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because when I was putting a massive hole in them and hitting lungs and stuff, they were bleeding. Mm-hmm. So even if it's just one hole. But anyway, there's there's so many different ways to think. I don't think that – I think the, the key here is to not think that your way is the only way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, for most people, because I know there's guys out there listening going, these guys are idiots or whatever. Oh. And they're probably not wrong, but maybe <laughs> about broadheads, we should just be a little bit open to think that, man, throwing something sharp through the right spot, like John said, is pretty efficient most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. I think that you could kill a lot of deer with a field point. Really you said do. that before. I, I like, think, I I think, think so, too. Yeah, man, I think that, like, there's a lot. I mean, yeah. if you put a put a hole in the diaphragm, it does not work. That's right. Therefore, they can't breathe anymore. Mm-hmm. That ain't that hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it, it takes a while. But the th- problem is, is that you got to deal with blood trails, and that's why John is so big on bloodletting, you know? Uh, because it's 
it's pretty important to mm-hmm. find them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the crux of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, know? it definitely is, man. That's that's kind of um, it's definitely a big part of it, you know. And hopefully, hopefully, we, you know, it's one of those things. It's just there's so many variables that um, when it comes to shooting a deer, um, you know, it could go right or it could go wrong. And I mean. You killed your deer dead and deader than a doorknob <laughs> last year. You know what I mean? But like deader than dead. Who says that? How long? <laughs> it's a TV personality, for you. sure. Um, but like, it still was um, the next morning before y'all found that. Mm. Almost midday before y'all found mm-hmm. that deer. You know, and so and he didn't go that far, right? He's mm. like 170 yards or something like that. Yeah, I mean yards. straight line. He was like. Probably 90. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of ran a big, big loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Blood ran kind of out. And so it's just like, man, there's so many variables. I think we just have to think that, um, you know, do the best we can, make the best decision you can, make the best shot you can, mm-hmm. and then just hope that it uh, pans out for you, you know? Absolutely, so. man. I think that's right. And uh, there's a lot of, mm, I guess, points to be made about different broadheads and this and that and the other mm-hmm. but i really think that people overthinking on whitetail quite a bit yeah i, I do really too. do i do too i, I yeah. think that um they're in hunting there you will always have a situation sooner or later where something doesn't go right mm-hmm. and that is the name of the game if you don't like that you should shoot a 300 mag in rifle season and you will always kill them mm-hmm. no matter what no matter where you hit them <laughs> i promise it's, it's for real but like in archery hunting that's the way it goes you know and so I don't really like the whole like, or subscribe to the idea of like, well, what's your backup plan or whatever it is that that you know, ranch troll says all the time. You know, like, um, I don't. No, it's just not. It's it's not me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not, and, and whatever works for each individual is fine. But yeah. um, to me, I'm like, well, just make it right the first go around as good as you can and hopefully you don't need the backup plan mm-hmm. that often and and i'm kind of coming full circle on things i'm going to shoot a mechanical a little bit this year too i still like my fixed blades um but i like i think you said this before um and it's it's good wisdom like the more blades you have and the wider your cut is the higher probability you have of nicking something that's really important mm-hmm. you know so I mean, it's kind of that simple. You think about you shoot a deer or an elk or whatever, and we've seen it before. They hit that that high and back hit, mm-hmm. and the thing drops in like fifteen steps. That's how I killed my first elk. Yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, that vein isn't. I'm on an elk. It's pretty big, it's but about like, size of your pinky. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not that big, right? So, I mean, we're talking something. That, you know, if you were to take a blade as wide as that elk. <clears throat> and or almost as wide as that elk, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Say a two foot blade or whatever, mm-hmm. you could still miss that thing. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. crazy that you could throw it through that and still miss that thing. And so, it, I mean, it's a very particular spot. So the bigger the blade, but you have a lot worse chance of missing that thing with a two foot blade. So that's kind of the idea. <laughs> yeah, is exactly. like you know what I mean? You the bigger the blade, the better chance you have of hitting something mm-hmm. that's uh, that pours blood or whatever. So yeah, I think it's uh, kind of the method i'm going to subscribe to and i have in the past shot a pretty big mechanical and i want to do that again this year especially since we're going to get bows the day before we go to nebraska (laughs) (laughs) oh man 
That's funny. Well, hopefully it's at least two days before. That way we yeah. have enough time to screw our sights on and stuff. Yeah, I'd hate to have to shoot one just instinctive shooting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Killed at 62 yards <laughs> with a brand new bow. That sounds like a good title to oh, me. Oh, man. Yeah. I love those TV episodes where they're like, yep, we just got in these new bows. You know, they just came out November 1st. We're going to sight them in here at the Outfitter and then we're going to go. You know, that's like, oh, oh man. We God, watched one man. in turkey season. Was it this year? No, it was last year. Um, where the dude got a bow on the way out to this hunt. Oh, yeah. And then shot, made a bad shot. And it's bad. I can't remember. I guess they did end up finding it or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows who killed it with a rifle or yeah, whatever. Exactly. But, you know, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> guys, this is, this is, uh, this is the dog days. This is the time of year where, um, it's hot. It's hard to do stuff outside, but the deer are putting some horn on their head right now. They're starting to, a lot of them are going to finish up probably in hits. the next few weeks <laughs> and on the hits. And, uh, I, I think that it's a good time for us to start, uh, kind of finalizing our, our gear and that kind of thing on the inside of the house and the AC. And then, uh, you know, it's a good time of year to be pumped because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really not long. I mean, if you're, a, if you're going to do some Western hunting or early season whitetail, you're looking at like about a month until you start traveling to go do that stuff, you know. So it's it's, uh, wild. it's exciting, man. I'm I'm really <clears throat> can't wait to see what this year holds. We got a lot of exciting stuff that uh, we may have up our sleeve to try and to do and to look at. We got a new boss buck decoy in, so that's another thing we might give a try this year. We think um, it could be very advantageous on a few properties that we've hunted in the past. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped, man. Man, and, uh, it's a long way till November. We got to kill a few deer between now and then. For sure, dude. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So anyway, we'll be thinking about that. And you guys need to remember, this is your element. Living it. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory. Relentless performance for your firearms.